Thanks for joining us for the 50th episode of the FieldLink Podcast. If you're a first-time listener, we encourage you to check out all 50 episodes wherever you get your podcast and to learn more about the deep agronomic insight from the people that help grow the food and fiber that feeds our nation to the policymakers that helps ensure crops as well as environment are safe and sustainable to the grain market inside and the passionate people that deliver the services and knowledge to growers across our great nation. Joining us today on our 50th episode is Phil Hollis. Phil is the Executive Vice President for Helena Agri-Enterprises, and today he'll discuss the changing landscape of ag retail. With the evolution of technology, regulations, and the post-era effect of covid Phil will share his insight on how Helena is working to meet the growing demands of growers in a very complex and evolving marketplace. Plus, Jody Lawrence from the Strategic Trading Advisors in Nashville breaks down the details of the latest USDA WASDA report. Stay tuned for this special 50th episode of FieldLink. And welcome back to FieldLink as we kick off our 50th episode of FieldLink. And joining us today is Executive Vice President Phil Hollis. Phil, welcome to FieldLink. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, Phil, you know, let's before we get into the weeds and of of the industry and talking about you know the ag retail business, let's just pause a second here and talk a little bit about you, Phil. Uh, where's home? Home is Audubon, Indiana. Audubon, Indiana, yeah. and and you grew up in Indiana on a farm. Grew up in a small farm just outside of our farms, actually, are about fifteen minutes just uh, southwest of Audubon and. A little small town, kind of border Attica, Indiana, to Williamsport, that area right in there. Grew up, believe it or not, right on the border of what we call Benton County, okay. uh, Indiana, and Tippecanoe, and our farms all exist in Warren. So oh, wow. traveled a lot to get to farm ground. <laughs> Actually, it's 15 minutes, <laughs> 15. and we're good. But now I cut my roots there, grew up, well, went to a small school there, mm-hmm. and then ended up at Purdue University. Okay. Um, and, and got a chance to not only go to Purdue, but play baseball at Purdue and, nice. and uh, learn not only how to get an education in agriculture, but also how to get an education in life and humility at times <laughs> playing the game. <laughs> that can definitely happen in sports. You find out real fast uh, where you stand sometimes. You bet. You bet. It, it, I figured out real quick that the town of 500 translates to a global world, and I learned that not only long before we got into business. Big so. fish, little pond. Uh, that transition yes, sometimes sir. can be challenging. You grow up in a hurry. You, you do. do. Yeah, that's right. And you guys did quite well in baseball back then. Well, we did okay. I wish we were. We did better. Uh, <laughs> the world's different today. I mean, it's such a uh, – so many kids play at a young age today. And it's funny because somebody asked me, I was up there speaking at a, an alumni deal, probably about a year ago, and I said, the difference between when I went and played college athletics is you went as a young person and you finished off in your three to four years. Today, with nutrition, today, with as much, whether it's baseball, basketball, football, you need to be a finished product when you enter the collegiate ranks. And, uh, you know, I laugh. Kids are so polished today compared to what I was when I, you know, started. And I ended up getting, I got drafted by the Atlanta Braves. And I look at that now and say, my senior year, I was just able to compete physically, mentally. Today, they come in. And that's a tribute to parenting. That's a tribute to to the, you know, the, the high schools and and the feeder systems of well, anything. the club programs are, you know, they're completely different than they were. 
and, and we have that in agriculture. We have we that. In, I think there's that in any industry. And right. a young person today, and you see it, you've been involved in our internship programs. They, they have exposure to so many different things than we did growing up in Left small more. rural towns. And, and that's a blessing. Yeah. Um, some people may say it could be a curse, but it's a blessing. And I think the industry will benefit from that as we go forward. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. You can just definitely tell how more, I guess, worldly young people are today. And I guess we were in our days. So uh, they're just exposed to a lot more for sure. Technology provides some of that, just the ability to access it. So after, after finishing up at Purdue, tell us about your career journey there, Phil. Well, right out of Purdue, I started working for a company called Sandoz Crop Protection and went through their training program. And, and believe it or not, I, I only worked for them for about a year, and, mm-hmm. and I'd probably still be working for them or a piece of them, which is split up between BSF and Syngenta. But sure. I, I met a bunch of Helen folks, and I started calling on a bunch of Helen folks. And at that time, Helen had a, a really new presence. We had only been present in the Midwest market since 1987. And right. so I called on some guys in Saginaw, Michigan, and mm-hmm. and uh, got to know them, got to trust them. They took me under their wing and, you know, really took an investment or provided an investment in me. And next thing I know, I was sitting around having dinner, being talked into coming to work for Helena. <laughs> Helena needed a presence in the state of Indiana, and I was living in Lansing, Michigan at the time. And I migrated down back to Indianapolis, and best thing ever happened. I came to work for Helena, and I met my wife all within the first wow. 90 days of uh, coming to work. So Two-for-one deal. That's right. Yeah, it's and, and uh, still fun, having fun today. There you go. That's awesome. So I uh, spent some time there. Then you transitioned out to California. I did. Well, I started out as a sales rep in western Indiana and had really from the northern state line to the southern state line. So okay. from Valparaiso, Indiana to Evansville was my wow. territory. It wasn't hard to sell much back then. There you go. <laughs> Actually, it was. Helena was unknown, believe it or not, in those areas. But my first location was out of Greenup, Illinois, and we serviced distribution customers through that. In the retail transition, it started then. We had just made an acquisition of some plants in Bluffton, Indiana. But started out as sales rep, then moved to Waterville, Michigan, went back to Michigan to be a branch manager. And it was an area manager in Indianapolis for about a year and a half, two years, and had five states surrounding Indiana. And then around 2000, I moved to California and was a division manager for our California-Arizona business from 2000 to 2010. And, um, you know, had a chance to learn about an irrigated market. I really yeah. grew up in a corn-soybean market that and sure. wheat. Really didn't know anything that. And, and hats off to those fellas. They, those people adopted me and taught me more than I was supposed to be leading them, but they led me a lot more. But the one thing that I was proud of is I was able to bring some energy toward Helena to them and some learnings that I had learned from some of my mentors that they were ripe for and uh, provide leadership. And they provided agronomics and proud of that division today. That division's still one of the best, I call it, prize fighters we have pound for pound, especially when you look at the diversity we have and sure. in, in the market presence. So that was a great 10 years. A couple hundred crops out there, right? <laughs> just, a few. Oh, oh, just a few. Just a few. Yeah, imagine going from three to, to <laughs> from from vegetables to, to yeah. you know, palm fruit to grapes to, to uh, you know, both raisins and grape, uh, table grapes and, and actually wine grapes. So right. very diverse marketplace, different in Arizona than it is in California. And at the end of the day, uh, yeah, you don't have to look for much in terms of a variety of crops and, and flavors there. What an exciting time, though, to experience all of those multiple crops, then couple that with your experience in the 
corn and soybean market, which is cornerstone, you really That's to right. American agriculture, but those specialty products uh, are very, very important as well to our consumers. So from there, you moved on to, I believe, HII, Helen Industries. Yes, got a chance to run our manufacturing plan, moved to, to Memphis here, Carrierville in 2010, and for the next seven years, kind of went out of what we would call the traditional industry. To be quite honest, when I was growing up in the company, um, I didn't know a lot about our manufacturing presence, and I didn't realize all that went on behind the scenes sure. and, and the partnerships that are created and also how products get from point A to point B and built, rather be imported from China or imported from India or really how the, the, the web is is woven. And it, it's it's really unique from that end. And so did that for seven years and learned a lot. I mean, if I was to tell you, you know, you think about not many people get the opportunity to move from Midwest guy to the West and then come back and, and dive right into manufacturing. Sure. I missed the industry. I, you know, in, in 2017, I moved to the role that I'm in today, and I, I missed the distribution retail business. And and but but what we were able to do is the guys at Helen Industries were wonderful in terms of welcoming me. And again, once again, was able to knife some of the Helena culture, some of the Helena, mm -hmm. just caring about putting our people first into that uh, business. And they've taken that to a whole new level today. Those plants are, are tremendous, and they, they, they've grown. And, but it was a great time for me to learn uh, from those folks, and it was a great time for me to learn about the industry at a pretty young age. Well, so today in your role here, you know, you, you help guide a lot of uh, different areas within the Helena Agri Enterprises, and, and one of those areas is the Helena Products Group. Um, and I know you're still involved pretty heavily with Helena Industries, as well as different departments, including uh, our logistics or our transportation area and fleet services, uh, IT. Yeah, to name I didn't a few. know you were an IT guy, Phil. Well, I'm clearly not, <laughs> but I got, I got good people. That's uh, right. You know, and you, you, you talk about some of those, you know, it's funny, I, I, I laugh because when you look at the manufacturing entity and I still keep arm's length distance and chairman of the board of that mm -hmm. subsidiary and not involved day to day. But the one that I really enjoy or, or I always tell my team, the one I could run is the one Patrick's running in terms of the HPG. And that's the fun platform for me. That's the natural fit in terms of sales and marketing and, and, and really reaching our people and providing products that add value. You know, you laugh a little bit about the IT Really, who would have thought? I mean, today's world of growth, and, yeah. and, and and I can tell you from personal growth, that is one of the areas that I've had to invest myself into because the world is changing. It right. changes so fast. And if you're not on top of it, you not only miss the day, you miss the last year. Mm -hmm. You know, I said in a seminar a few years ago, and one of our partners said, you know, technology is changing as fast as it's ever changed, but it's as slow as it will ever change. And if you think about that right. task... You think about that challenge, that's pretty daunting when you look at it. And and the thing I'm trying to do, you, you asked the question, and Mike McCarty actually asked me to, to, to sit over IT and work with our teams there, you know, back in 2017. And the challenge was, how do you link it to everything? How do you take it, instead of making it cumbersome, how do you take it for our people and for our customers and partners, um, both inside Helena and outside Helena, and make it relatable, right. also make it usable. That's right. um, and I'm not saying we have that perfected by any means, but one thing I think you could see is we make our decisions, we try to make them with a goal in mind of what does the end product look like? Because you can get caught up into fads and technology, yeah. 
and at the end of the day, causes, fads cause a lot of pain. Maybe not on the person who adopted the fad, but the person who has to implement the, the fad. And if you can make a technology a way of life or a, or a solution for a problem or, or identify a need and solve it, then it'll last the test of time. And that's what we're trying to do. And, you know, you, you can see that play out in the four pillars we have internally and try to use with, with our AgBands uh, Power BI, two of those four pillars. We're trying to use that to make our billing systems better, but also we're trying to power it with information that allows not only our people, but our growers and customers across the U.S. Had to be make better intuitive decisions down the road. Sure. And, you know, I think, you know, as we kind of talk about ag retail and the evolution of Helena, for that matter, there's times in in history that really, that point in, in, in our industry, anyhow, that really make you step back and go, ah, there's a way to do this a little differently. And I think one of them would be back in the 90s when biotechnology was introduced. But I also think during COVID, and not just the aha of COVID, but coming out of COVID, it raised the bar on technology. It forced us into a space that was really uncomfortable. But I think we came out of it really growing as an industry and as a company. And the adoption for new technologies is far more, I guess folks are more open to it today than they ever have been. I couldn't agree more. And, and it varies at different levels. But I think what the COVID era, good, bad, or indifferent, if you liked it or if you didn't like it, taught us that we could lean on technology mm -hmm. and it wasn't the enemy. Right. Technology was one of the facilitators to provide an opportunity to either communicate with a customer, either solve a better problem problem through agrointelligence or or some type of field solution. But at the end of the day, the ability all of us for a period of time, and I'm I'm very proud of our people because they stayed in contact face to face with their customers and I kind of laugh because out in the field, they were looking at some of the the rural areas were looking at some of the populated areas. Say, you all, what are you guys doing up right. there? Or what? You, I, I speak for us at our corporate office, and you know, they were somewhat right, but at the same time, holistically, we had to provide a safe environment for all of our folks. It doesn't matter sure. if you're in the corporate office or if you were at a location to deliver the messages and service the customers they needed. And technology brought that ability to do that quicker. Mm -hmm. And people who fought technology prior to, I don't care if you were new in your career or older in your career, for lack of a better term, you started to embrace some things and say, it's not the dark cloud. Right. It is. It can be the silver lining to some of this stuff. And, and it laid the groundwork for some of us, some of our folks to bring solutions that would it accelerated the rate of adoption. It clearly did. Well, I think it's a great point, to your point. Uh, folks come more open to technology, and and now it's game on. I mean, we're looking at stuff today through our agrointelligence platform, but through other platforms that could really transform the ag retail business. No doubt. You know, what kind of things are your team exploring, I guess, that you foresee in the future in terms of technology advancements? Well, one thing we... We know, you know, it's funny because when we came out of, of or were in COVID, everybody thought, well, the days of virtual platforms, the days of online transactions, the days that's going to take stride in the industry. Mm -hmm. We never felt that way. We always felt like this would pass, but we also felt like we could use technology, still believe this today, to enhance the interaction with our sales teams, with their in user customer. Sure. We could use technology to enhance 
how I communicate with my team or they communicate mm -hmm. with the end user. Really, technology is an enhancement, another bullet in the gun, for like right. somebody may say, another opportunity. But what we're trying to do is really focus on our technology platforms. And I don't care if it's in agri-intelligence, uh, interfacing with soil samples, our base billing platforms, to collecting bills or invoicing systems. One thing we're, we're infatuated with is making that process better. And I think that's the art of the dance. We can't do that by ourselves. We have, in between the, that space that I just described, we have the likes of our application partners that we have to interface technology with. We have our blending equipment at the locations that we have technology at. And then at the end of the day, we have credit card companies. We have banks that we, on the tail end of the process in terms of the collection or borrowing side. All those have to touch a seamless, flawless technology platform. And that's our goal. Our goal is to make that seem easy, not only to our people, but to our customer. And those that figure that out, I think, I think our customers realize it's never going to be perfect, right. but every day needs to get better. And we spend a lot of time in that. Um, PT and I talk about that a lot. We talk about that with our business unit vice presidents. And we want to know. And the neat thing is, is today we have really once a month, we have technology meetings with everyone on the executive team. Because if we're going to invest time, we want to hear what our customers are saying from our people. Mm -hmm. We want to hear what our people are saying. And we want to make sure that it's targeted, not just there, because somebody has an idea. It's easy in technology to, I, I'd break it down, this sounds crazy, but to hop on the pretty pony of the day. There's a lot of, you said it earlier, fads mm -hmm. that are easy to just jump on and get all excited about. But at the end of the day, can it really deliver what's needed by the customer in an efficient and effective manner? And uh, when we figure those out, it's like, a, it's great music happening. Well, it just has to be an enhancement of the process. Right. Well, one thing that's non-negotiable in Helena is our people make the difference. Mm -hmm. I know that. I think our technology people know that. It's our culture. It's, right. it's the ability. And what we have to do is empower our people to make that as seamless and easily of a process as problems. Technology doesn't need to be cumbersome. Right. It needs to be targeted. And if you have an ear to your customer, which you know in Helena, our sales folks' customers are the end users, our growers. And if you're in the wholesale business, our dealers, they should have their ear. But we have to have our ear attuned to what our people are telling us yeah. here at the corporate office. And that's ultimately why I came into this role, is every step I took within the company and all those travels we described earlier was because I wanted to solve people's problems. And if you continue to serve down and you, can send, you, know, and, and you serve them more than you ask them to serve you, then everybody wins in that process. That's and right. that's been the mantra of Helena, and that's what makes it feel special. You touched on an important area that we're very proud of here at Helena, and uh, that is the people. Uh, that's our motto, people, products, and knowledge. And we start with people first, and it's often said that. There's a reason why, right? <laughs> that's right. Let's talk a little bit about some of the commitments Helena's made to the people side in terms of staffing at the locations, internally, uh, at the corporate office, as well as you know the products groups and different departments and divisions throughout the area. Well, I think when you look at our, our overall focus, you know, we have a, a motto, people, products, and knowledge. And people are, that that's the first word for a reason. You know, our people can take products and without the knowledge and the people, we really, the products are commoditized at times. And right. at the end of the day, our HPG 
entity makes a lot of differentiated products and it is different and we believe that it adds value. But primarily, majority of our business is a commodity business. Some of our competitors can provide the same product at this, you know, at a similar to the same price to yeah. our end user customers. And at the end of the day, what we have is the ability for our people to deliver the right message with the right agronomic fit at the right time. And we we knew that. And and we also know in a world where it's commoditized, that is the difference maker. And we spend a tremendous amount of money. Jesse Richards is is uh she's our manager of training across the US and she works hand in hand with our business units in the field in the corporate office to provide an environment that that we try to make it different. What we're trying to do with Jesse is in her team is to share ideas that work in the East with everybody in the other three business units. Right. Things that work in the West, we share North and South. And if we continue, no, nobody has the perfect answer, but if we share answers and people can scale them across, then, then it becomes pretty contagious. And we spend a lot of money not only in training. Um, that's one thing we learned when we hired Jesse a couple years ago, and you and I spoke about COVID. We knew very well if we invested in our people coming out of COVID, that it would pay dividends three to five years down the road. Mm -hmm. Eric and I sat during that particular time and said, what do you think? Um, he asked me, what do you think is our, our, our area that we need help? And I said, well, we need to, instead of harvesting our people's knowledge, we need to start to fertilize it. And that was the attempt with our grow platform. Sure. And we call it grow and it, it's to share training ideas, share training partnerships, share training technologies across the United States for not only our salespeople, but we also customers that we have, um, we're willing to do that from that perspective. But we not only trained the folks that sell our end users day in and day out, we also are spending a lot of time and money training our people at the corporate office to try to get better prepared to meet solutions, to, sure. to provide solutions to those people. You know, at the end of the day, each business unit's different. Every The, the northern business unit has a different cropping pattern and a different way of working in the south. And what we're trying to do is share all those ideas across all four business units so we can build a best-in-class training program that's known through the industry that people want to be part of. Sure. And there's there's a whole lot of opportunity there. And we've seen a shift in just the dynamics of people that want to work, especially after COVID. You know, there is challenges in our industry for people and um, finding good people and maintaining them. It's, it's very important. It is. People want to know you care. Yeah. And that's really what training signals. Are you willing to invest in me? And, and there's no doubt if you ask anybody in Helena, we're willing to invest. I think one of the challenges that we ask back is how much are you willing to take on yourself to make yourself better? Sure. We have all these modules that are in, in not only we provide in face-to-face -face training, we also have a, a lot of online stuff that people can go on their own time to make themselves better if they want to, whether it be a software right. class, whether it be, you know, a personality type uh, study that they want to do. That's their business. But we try really at the end of the day, we try to provide a platform that caters to everybody's individual training needs mm -hmm. and personal growth. And I really believe it separates us and we can get quality of talent that lasts the test of time. We had our Christmas party here just uh, the other day, last Friday, and you see people walk across the stage of 10, 20, not just one or two, but mm -hmm. 10 and 20 people, 10 years, 20 years, 25 years, and 30. That doesn't happen by mistake. That right. happens because we've created a special 
place and continue to fertilize those people's thoughts and ideas and invest in them so they know we care. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that was great experience. A lot of tenured people and it makes you sit back you know there's not a lot of organizations that can say i don't know of really any other retail stores uh locations or groups that can say we've got 20 30 35 year employees still working for you and and we don't wake up thinking we will too right you know what we do is pretty soon it seems like it flies Mm -hmm. you know i just celebrated my 31st year and it feels like 10 and because the energy's still there and when it's fun it doesn't seem like work. Right. When you're making a difference, it doesn't seem like a, a cumbersome transaction. And that's our jobs every day. I think everybody that signs up to be a leader, and I think that's the biggest thing, Bill, that I would tell you we're trying to do, is it's easy to have an employee. It's another thing to invest in someone that wants to be a leader. Right. And I would tell you the reason that I think we do better than most is we'll, we'll provide an environment of investment and training in our employee no matter what they want to do. And we will com- cater it to their needs. And that's important because not everybody wants to move across the country like I did. But they want to be really, really good in Otterburn, Indiana. And mm-hmm. there is nothing wrong with that. That's right. Um, and when they want that, we need to still invest in them as rigorously as we are in someone that, that moves across the country. Because their their contribution to Helena's team may be more than mine ever dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And that's important. And when you balance all that, you get a culture that lasts the test of time and is pretty special. Yeah. Phil, let's transition a little bit to, I guess, the market. And specifically around our customers, growers. Uh, there's been a big shift since you and I probably started in the industry many years ago. Um, <laughs> but we, we've seen a big shift from being a supplier distributor, partner, to, to, to a real partner, a trusted partner. Tell us about your vision there. Uh, what do you see transitioning in the industry? It's becoming far more complex than it was uh, 30 years ago. Well, stakes are higher. You know, you and I yeah. grew up on $2 corn. Yeah. But but commodities and, and seed didn't cost what it costs. Uh, so the, the price or the ante to get in the game is, is a lot higher. You know, I think when you look at our people and what's on them, and when they try to do some of the expertise that they've got to bring, it leads back to some of the training things I talked about. But mm-hmm. it's also, we. I just spoke to a new hire group here earlier this week. I came over from my office, and, and they were sitting in our HBG training room. And there was 42 people in that room, and 36 were agri-intelligence people. That's where the future is. And that's Agri- our precision platform. That's our precision platform. And those folks will transition into being HPG product managers. They may become salespeople, agronomists, crop consultants. That, that's the training ground or pretty mm-hmm. much the starting ground for how a person gets indoctrinated into the Helena Agronomic Solutions System. And that shows you, when I came up to the company, we, were never, we, we didn't have that title. We didn't have that position. We didn't really know what that was. We didn't know what that was. That's exactly right. But that's a position that was put in place not to replace the salespeople, but to enhance the offerings of solutions through technology, through, quite honestly, soil sampling, through petio sampling, and overall interpretation and extrapolation of the data that would enhance the interaction with our salespeople or our agronomist with with the grower. That's the future. The future is our, our salespeople do a wonderful job, 
but they can't know everything because sure. it's so complicated on that acre today. You know, you're talking about interfaces from John Deere to Case IH mm-hmm. um, to to Fent, and we haven't even planted the ground yet. Well, and, and that's was, just one area. That's just uh, one. when we talk about complexity, we think of a salesperson. Again, I go back to when you and I were in the game. Is like, okay, you you kind of knew the fertilizer and a handful of the herbicides that were really out there. I mean, they're all pretty similar. And today, we're asking salespeople to be masters of fertilizer, masters of ag chem, the broad ag chem background. That's right. And it's coming back. What was old is coming back again. So we got to re-educate a lot of folks there because of the Roundup baby world, so to speak. That's I like to call exactly it. Exactly right. And it's really transitioned. And now uh, the seed complexity is significantly different. I was in the seed business, you know, 30 years ago, and it was like you could learn one or two or three good hybrids, and you knew that it was going to last for five, six, seven years. Today, they're roll t- rolling, rolling off annually. You know, it's just boom, boom, boom. It's a new game every year. It is. And, and so that's an evolution. And then we start going into this precision area that we're talking about, and it's completely different than it was 10 years ago, five years ago. No doubt. And and if you're going to provide and put your money where your mouth is, where we say we want to provide solutions, you have to provide the arsenal to do that. Right. And you have to provide the investment. And one of the things that I think is really unique, you know, the last you you spoke about COVID, the last three years, COVID. So the, the, the market went into defense mode during COVID. Mm-hmm. Production ramped up. Everybody was running out of product. Now there's surpluses of products, and you hear about inventory being slammed in the channel. And I, don't, you know, you've got a war in Ukraine that's impacting fertilizer positively and negative. It depends what it is, and 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 drought conditions. That that at the end of the day, it's a global economy. Right. And and what what I think we have to keep in mind is over the next or, or the past three years, it's really been. It's never easy, but it's been a good time in agriculture. Mm-hmm. It's been a time that people could experiment on some things, and, and the grower was healthy. And I think the grower, and, and, and quite honestly, a lot of people within the channel of the grower became healthy. You saw a lot of startup pro- companies around biologicals, and, sure. and, and we were able to get some of the carbon initiatives started sustainability-wise. That uh, What we have to do is as we move into higher interest rates, some labor pressure, all these environmental economic factors that are really working against us now, it's a good time for the cream to rise to the top in this industry. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a wonderful opportunity within our base, not only with our growers, but with our people to take advantage of that. We've been, we're, we're, we're solid. We've invested during good times and bad, and we've, we've provided a platform for our people to take advantage. And when, when uncertainty comes, they thrive, not survive. And if you look back at the at the world of Helena that you and I sure. spent a lot of thirty for me yeah. and twenty some for yeah. you, right? Right. We do better in tougher times than we do in good times. And the reason being is because we're dependable and we're trustworthy, and our people represent that, and we prepared them to be hardened for that battle. And our growers are going to be in a battle. Right now, they're still healthy. Right now, there's some chinks that the corn market, I I watch, obviously, sure. a Purdue guy, I watch the barometer, and I see it go up and down, the yep. barometer of the farmer. I'm not sure we can get a good read right now. But at the end of the day, I think, overall, the grower is healthy. And we got to make sure we keep him or her there. And, uh, and, and they, they 
will determine where we are at coming out of some tough times with higher interest rates and where the industry trading's at, or the channel, by how they behave. Right. And our people have a really good chance to shine during this, in my opinion, because tough times, metal sharpens metal. I mean, it just does. Yeah, and I think it's a great opportunity for growers to really take step back and take a good look at the global marketplace. As you mentioned, it is a changing market. You know, we continually talk about on all these podcasts, it feels like for the last, well, we're in our 50th episode today, but really for the last 50 episodes, gosh, Phil, nearly everyone, we're talking about something happening around the globe, whether it's uh, the war in Ukraine, whether it's uh, what went on uh, in Israel, what's still going on in Israel, whether it's a drought in Brazil or, or what have you. Global issues are always going to impact, and our demographics with our growers, uh, the challenges that they face, the complexity, as well as, you touched on it, the, the regulatory issues. It's a changing dynamic from geopolitical challenges. Uh, you know, the, we had uh, Sean McCarty in here earlier today, and we were talking about the Farm Bill. How How's that going to play out in, in a year from now uh, because of the extension. What does that mean to growers now? And some of those decisions are really important for our growers and our people to really understand today so they can give that kind of advice to growers. There's no doubt. I wish I had all the answers. And and they don't have to be right answers. I sure. just wish they were answers. When you get into the political dynamo of what's going on in some of the legislative arms, not only on a local basis, but also national basis and then global. You know, some things just don't make sense. Sure. And But that's life. A lot of things in life as we grow yeah. up, this doesn't make sense. How many times you heard your kids say that? At the end of the day, it's reality. Sure. And the reality of it is, is there is a move to softer chemistries. There just is. Right. You're seeing it probably take on some extremes in our European friends markets and we have some exposure and partners mm-hmm. through um, our, our owner through over in, in Europe, and we can kind of get a pretty good eye on that. Sure. You also see, you know, during our time, we've seen Brazil outgrow us in a lot of areas. That mm-hmm. that probably didn't happen just overnight. Sure. Um, but to some people, it probably felt that way. Right. Um, at the end of the day, awareness is what we got to be. Yeah. And, and you, you know, anytime I go into a business situation, I try to figure out what can I control, what are the controllables, and what are the non-controllables. And I can't do a lot about the non-controllables, but I dang sure can do what I can control. And when you sit down, whether it be with a grower or you sit down with our people, you sit down with a supplier that we do business with, and you start focusing on what you can impact, it gets pretty easy. I wouldn't say it was easy. It gets pretty clear mm-hmm. is a better word for it. Because I think a lot of people get caught up in what I call noise. For sure. Uh, and, and you can follow noise. I think noise has been in every industry for a long period of time. Absolutely. It, but I don't care if you're a really, really good athlete or if you're a really, really good business person or you're really, really good at anything. Those that thrive can quiet the noise down and focus on what they can do. And nine times out of ten, if you focus on your role, you're successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we've I preach to all my teams. Sure. I, I, I talk to our people that are in our business units when I get a chance to interface with them. Control what you can control. You can't write that farm bill, but you can control having a conversation with the local representatives about how that that delay impacts your the uncertainty that your grower has to deal with. 
we owe it to our growers to represent them in that manner. That's why we hired Sean. Sure. And, and at the end of the day, I think if you make if you eliminate some of the obstacles that you really will never be able to control or eliminate, I mean, if you or, or you just you got a better chance of meeting yeah. what you need to do. Phil, you know, as we kind of look down the road in the future, what are some of the things that you're excited about as we, you know, look down the future of ag retail? And what do you think the value proposition is for growers out there as it relates to ag retail? Well, I think I shared it earlier. I think that the pace of change is going to ramp up rapidly over the next three to five years. It's already ramped up. And at the end of the day, my, my thinking was, or my thinking is toward this industry is if you wake up and say, how do I continue to add value and how do I continue to get better and how do I keep an open mind toward getting better every day? If you become the vessel that's interested in getting better to deliver results, you're going to thrive in the next three to five years. You just are. Yeah. Um, if you if you desire and don't like change, you won't like the next three to five years. And the person that's able to again control the what they can control and and keep it simple and take a very complex delivery system of technology and seed technology, chemistry change, generic offerings that are coming rapidly. And if you can quiet all that noise down and provide value in a simplistic way to your end user, you're going to have more business than you know what to do with if you're on the turn row. And, and I think the companies that can really harness that and the companies that can really get focused on what's the customer want and identify clearly who their customers are in terms of the chain, the chain to do that will win this war. But if you let all the noise control you, and you, you listen to all the exterior fads or features or stuff that really can't scale, I, you're going to get lost in the shuffle. And I also think a huge opportunity for us is we don't have to be everything to everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we will never be able to own every offering we bring to our customers. But I think opening your mind to partnerships, to vendor relationships, opening your mind to technology. And when I say vendors, I'm talking about seed, technology, HPG, opening your mind to the world because everybody has something special, but not everybody can scale it. And I think the retailer is in a really unique position to scale it to the end user, but they'll be limited by the amount of conduits they'll allow into their system. Mm -hmm. And if you're willing to have an open mind with an open heart, you can do some amazing things in the next three to five years, in my opinion. And I think that's an important statement for the growers that are listening here. That's really the direction that we're taking is how can we have strategic partners so when that sales rep in Audubon, Indiana shows up or uh, uh, Kerman, California, wherever they're located, walks onto their farm, we're not just here to transaction a product or two. We're here to provide a holistic solution. And hopefully down the road, we have the right partners across a wide spectrum of areas of the industry. If you don't, you're not going to be successful, you know, honestly. And, and you're right. At the end of the day, those are all for agronomic solutions. All the partnerships, right. all the alliances, all the adoptions, all the effort is how do you bring the best agronomic solution to the grower that you have access to? 
and you know one of my roles and eric and i talk about this a lot and um and, and we have our our team meetings is how do we make it easier for our guys gals right. in the field and if you make it harder if you mm-hmm. you know the last thing we would ever want is for someone to be inwardly focused right our people in those towns are part of those towns and they wake up thinking about those people in those towns and we dang sure need to be thinking about how we help them meet those needs. I think that's a really important point. You know, uh, at our, our retail locations, we've got over 500 across the country. And uh, those folks that are uh, working there on a daily basis, sales reps to operations managers to floater operators, to you name it, the secretary that's at the front counter, those are the people that are also leading the 4-H club meetings, they're 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 coaching little league. They're they're going to church. I mean, they're in the same parade uh, on the Fourth of July. They're a part of the community as they should be, and and that is a really important. We can guide all we can out of Memphis with different you know overarching solutions, but it's the folks boots on the ground that really got to get her done. There are difference makers, and I've growing up in the company, starting at that space. You know, I grew up with with the mindset of they don't need me if we can't provide value to them. Mm-hmm. And and I wake up every day and drive to 225 Schilling Boulevard and say, how am I going to make a difference? Right. And I think the next three to five years in the industry is going to be hard. I believe that. I mean, I know there's a lot of talk about interest rates are double, if not triple, what they were a year ago. That's a dramatic amount of money coming out of people's pockets when when you're trying to get yourself ready buying fertilizer prior to the season chemistry that you've got to take a position on there's a lot of money and risk involved in that and it's not for the faint of heart it's just not going to be but and i think the stakes the stakes will be higher than they've ever been couple that up with the dynamics around investment and precision investment and precision partnerships right but those that can do it will provide a good area to help make those agronomic decisions and a good platform for people to come work at. The farmer, he can, some can scale enough to do it on their own, but majority of them need partners, just like we need partners in terms of areas of technology. So we need to be there to fill that gap. And that's our goal. Yeah. It's an exciting time, you know, a lot of uncertainty, but really exciting when you step back and you think about the technology, you think about the innovation, you think about the people that are excited to become part of this industry. I mean, there's still folks, we talk about, yeah, it's tough to get talent, and it it is, but the people that do want to come are pretty passionate about it, and that's the secret sauce. You bet. Phil Hollis, want to thank you for joining us here on this episode of Field Link, our 50th episode. Thanks for joining us and, and sharing your leadership insight with us. You bet. I thank you for the time, Bill. And I, you know, I know a lot of our people listen to these uh, podcasts and, and, and our customers, and I want to thank thank them for what they do. And, and I know from time to time we ask them to do a lot, and we ask them to understand a lot. And I just want to thank them for what they do the influence our salespeople and our agronomy teams, the influence they provide not only to make decisions that we can make that best fits them, but also the the value and the service they provide to their customers day in and day out. And for our end users and, and grower customers, dealer customers, um, we're grateful for the business you entrust in us. And, and uh, we wake up every day and don't forget that and try to serve that based on that. So thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us here today, Phil. My pleasure. 
This episode of the FieldLink Podcast is brought to you by ResGenics. If you're looking for a water management tool to help you maximize the efficiency of your crops, check out ResGenics. And remember, be sure to vote for ResGenics as the 2023 New Product of the Year from The Daily Scoop. Go to thedailyscoop.com slash new products to vote for ResGenics as the New Product of the Year. And at this time, we run down down to Nashville to catch up with Jody Lawrence for the latest in commodities updates. Uh, Jody, the WASDA report just recently come out on Friday. What do we got going on in that world? Well, Bill, it's good to be back and uh, happy two weeks to Christmas for to everybody. The WASDA report fell in line with what typically happens in December. They do not update the U.S. yield. They save that for the January report, but they do update South American yield. And a couple of just minor things on the U.S. balance sheet. The good news was that we have seen as the prices have fallen, U.S. has become extremely competitive in the world. Our corn is still the cheapest. And China wanted our wheat uh, as we got cheaper, as we got to a point where we were uh, more competitive than anybody else they could buy from. And on beans, Brazil is running out of beans, but the major issue really coming through, and you don't think about a canal connecting the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans of running low of water, but the Panama Canal is running at about three quarters capacity, maybe even a little bit lower. So it sounds like almost what we've seen the past couple summers with the Mississippi River. So that's why China really started scrambling over the last two to three weeks to buy what they needed immediately you know, to get on a boat and start getting shipped over the next two to three months. So that was good news. They raised export, U.S. exports. They cut ending stocks a little bit, but no more than what was expected. And they trimmed Brazil's soybean crop a little bit. The biggest problem is that they trimmed it from a huge new record to just a big new record. Right. So it wasn't, uh, you know, we're still dealing with a massive competition from Brazil on their bean crop. And it doesn't look like that's going to change a lot. You know, as we take a look at weather in Brazil, we continue to see uh, weather picking up a little bit there. Not as bad as it was, to your point, but uh, still those stocks are uh, definitely impacting U.S. uh, exports right now. And let's talk about, let's pivot a little bit to wheat. Recent uh, reports this morning, not a whole lot happening there, just kind of going down. Yeah, China really didn't, you know, they didn't send out an email that said, hey, we bought plenty last week, we're done. You can just tell it by what is going on at the major elevators and the export terminals when they see when the cash market see basis drop like it was, it was you could tell China was shopping last week by the big elevators desire to pay more to get that wheat heading their way. And then when they got enough, they have cut basis back and you saw wheat today, you know, drop back 25 cents accordingly after a red hot week of sales last week. But it's still going to trim Exports are going to trim ending stocks. And if the USDA is right about further cuts this winter and next spring in both the soft and hard wheat varieties, the wheat balance sheet around the world is going to become interesting. Uh, I don't think we're looking at what happened like after 
Russia invaded Ukraine. But we certainly, if you looked at all the landscape, you would say wheat has the most interesting bullish story potentially heading into 24. Yeah, it is kind of leading the bull story of all of our, our primary uh, inputs right now, uh, or commodities rather. It's the wheat game. Let's move on to corn a little bit. Uh, again, just kind of hanging in there. Yeah, corn is stuck, and I wrote about it in today's comment, between 480 and $5 for the better part of two, two and a half months. And even looking at beans in that capacity, from the end of July, beans have been trading in about a 60 cent range. And a 60 cent range in beans is equivalent with a 20 cent range in corn. So the world has got all of the news digested in the markets. And when they get cheap enough to where China wants to buy more because they're more competitively priced. They're buying, you can see end user demand at the lower end of the ranges. Then when we get to the top of the ranges, you have speculative selling and you have profit taking for anybody that was on the bullish side on the rise. Well, definitely, uh, Jody, we're going to get into uh, some deeper strategy in our next episode as we kind of get to the end of 23 and we start really looking at 24. But before we transition to 24, there may be an opportunity or two for growers out there as it relates to diesel doing some hedging in that area. Let's talk about energy. Yeah, the energy market has really been hard to figure because OPEC has been unusually silent as crude and diesel and uh, all the other energy bases coming out of that uh, have just continued to fall and fall as we've seen uh, poor numbers out of China, economic numbers, and then just the ongoing concern of a worldwide, at least a soft landing, potentially a recession and lower use in 2024. And crude under $70 is normally where you can expect OPEC to come in, make some negotiations with all the countries to have a few of them cut enough to where they get back up to their sweet spot of about $80 a barrel. So I'm not, uh, you know, I don't see the catalyst until OPEC moves that uh, it's going to rally back to 80 bucks, but I don't want to be in the position either whether where I'm sitting here with my tanks empty, wondering if it's going to go two or three cents cheaper. And then I look up and I have to pay 15 or 20 cents more for it when you just have to take the calculated risk that $70 crude and wherever we are about 240, 230 in futures diesel it is pre- is a pretty good base to start looking at all at hedging all your fuel needs. Yeah, as as a grower, if you're if you're going to be farming next year, now's the time to really be paying attention to the energy side of things. Uh, maybe taking a position if it fits your farm and and your and your uh, your spreadsheet right now uh, as we wrap up 2023. Jody, I want to thank you for joining us here on this episode of Field Link, and we're certainly going to be circling back in a couple weeks to get ready for 24 and deep dive into the different strategies for your marketing of your grain inputs. All right, Bill, thank you. And uh, if we don't put the podcast out till after Christmas, wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us, Jody. Thanks for joining us on our 50th episode of FieldLink. We appreciate you downloading this episode and sharing this insight with other friends and family across our great nation.